podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location in Belmont, Massachusetts. My name is Brian, and I'm the pastor of Mount Hope in Belmont. It's good to talk to you today. In the sermon you're about to hear, we talk a little bit about the Bible. One thing that's interesting about the Bible is that even though it was written thousands of years ago, it continues to elicit strong opinions from people today. Some people love this book. Some people despise it. Today we talked about how we can figure out who is right. The people who hold up this book as the Word of God, or the people who say it should be done away with. It's an interesting topic, and I hope you enjoy this, and I hope you listen closely, because I believe that God has something He would like to say to you. Well, if you were with us last week, you know we started a a new sermon series for the month of January, and we've called it Fully Equipped. All you need to know to do your best work this year. And what we did last week, if you remember, is we looked in a book called Ephesians. We looked at a book uh, that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. And we looked at chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, and we said this. We said the best work that we could do this year, the work that the Bible calls us to, the work that Paul calls us to in those verses, is twofold. The work that we could do this year, the best work we could do, if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, is to first grow up in Christ. Paul talks about maturing in Christ. And secondly, to grow together as the body of believers. We said last week the best work we could do this year, if we could come back and sit here January 7th, 2019, and figure out whether or not we've done good work over the last 12 months as the church, If we could say honestly that in the last 12 months we've grown up in Christ and grown together as the body, we could feel good about the work that's been done. That's what Paul calls us to in those verses. This is the way that Paul says it. He says this, And he, that's God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. And Paul basically says there, this is what he says, that we would grow up in Christ and grow together in unity as the body. But there's a reason he calls us to this. There's a reason we're supposed to do the work. And you know there's a reason that Paul has because the two words after those verses are this, so that... Well, so that what? So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. See, here's what Paul knows. Paul knows there's an important work for you to do and an important work for me to do, that we need to grow up in Christ, mature in Christ, grow together as the body. But there's a whole bunch of things that are going to happen uh, in our lives People are going to say things and do things. There's all sorts of things that could happen that would throw us off course. And Paul says we need to grow up in Christ, grow together as the body so that we're not thrown off course in our lives. That's the work. Now, here's what we're going to talk about this morning and over the next couple of weeks. If the work is to grow up in Christ and grow together as the body, the question that remains is how do we do that work? What are we supposed to do? How do you grow up in Christ? How do we grow together as the body? That's what we're going to be talking about for the next four weeks. 
And we're going to start this morning talking, as I mentioned during the communion time, about this book right here. I don't know of a better place to start in the new year than to start with this book. And some of you are sitting there right now and you're saying, listen, pastor, I already know what you're going to tell me about this book, uh, and so I'm, I'm just going to tune out for the next few minutes. I would encourage you to stick with me for a moment uh, because there's something important that we need to talk about here. Before we get to all that, let me ask you this question. What are the things in your life that you have very strong opinions about? Or what are the things that you're passionate about? What are the things that you feel very strongly about? It strikes me as I think about people's passions and opinions that there's a couple differences. There are those things in our lives that we are passionate about that other people just aren't that passionate about. There are those things that we get really excited about, the places we like to eat, the hobbies that we like to do, and then, there's, and then there's, and there are things that other people just really don't get that excited about. I remember when I first moved to this part of the country uh, and Lori and I started dating, my family visited. And Lori grew up, born in Burlington, raised in Burlington, still lives in Burlington, right? Uh, she's seen the world. And so... Uh, she, she is from here, and I moved here, and one of the things that happened when I came here is I know that you go to other parts of the world, and New England is young, but when you come from the mid Midwest, New England is very old, and so as someone who enjoys history, and I come from a family who enjoys history, to move from a place where uh, things are from the 1600s was, was interesting to me. Uh, back home, if something's from 1950, it gets a plaque. Everything, everything before, like 50-ish, 49, a plaque. This is historical. But here, uh, you know, it's much older. And so that was interesting to me. And one of the early times when my family visited we did what we thought was everybody's favorite thing to do, and that is, of course, the Freedom Trail, because we were excited about learning the history. And so my family was here, and we all went down to the Freedom Trail, and Lori came with us, and we thought, great, we have a true Bostonian in our midst that can give us all the facts and details and secrets of the Freedom Trail that other people may not know. And so we started in the common, and we went to Park Street, and we went to King's Chapel, and we went to the State House, and we went to Faneuil Hall, and we're following the bricks and the red-painted line, and we're super excited, and we're, we're learning all these things and seeing all these things. And while we're going, you know, my dad, me, we're asking Lori questions. And every time she, she just kind of deflects the question and, and, and doesn't, you know, doesn't really have, have an answer for us, and, and we keep asking and about halfway through the Freedom Trail, she turned to us and she said, listen, you need to understand something. Today is my first day ever on the Freedom Trail. This is not exciting to me. I've lived here 25 years, never wanted to do this, and I'm only here because of you people. And don't you, don't, aren't there those things in your life, right, that you're passionate about, that you have strong opinions about that other people just don't? Uh, last month, a new Star Wars movie came out, right? Some of you in the room are super excited about that. Some of you in the room would love for this whole thing to go away and never see it again. And some of us just don't care, right? So there are these things in our lives that we have, are really passionate about and other people aren't. But then there's things 
that we all have an opinion about. There are things that pretty much everybody has a strong opinion about. I'll give you an example. The current president of the United States. <laughs> Tough to find a person that doesn't have an opinion. There are those things where just some people have a strong opinion, and then there are those things where people really have strong opinions, and everybody has an opinion. I want to suggest to you today that the Bible is one of those things that almost everybody has a strong opinion about. And it really is amazing that this book, written thousands of years ago, still elicits such strong emotions, both from the people who believe it and the people who do not. Almost everybody you meet, if you were to ask them, what's your opinion on this book, they would have something to say. It might just be one or two words, positive or negative, but they have formed an opinion about this book. This morning, I want us to think for just a few moments together about how those opinions are formed. How do we come to either a positive or a negative view of this book? And I want to suggest to you that whether you're on the side that believes that this is the inspired word of God or whether you're on the side that would call this a very dangerous, regressive book, all of us or most of us make a big mistake in forming our opinion. What I want you to think about for the next few moments is that even though we have strong opinions about this text, whether we have a very positive view of the text or a very negative view of the text, all of us, I think, many of us, I should say, make the same mistake in forming our opinion. And I want to encourage you as you go into this new year not to make the mistake that many of us make when we draw strong conclusions about this book. It really is amazing when you think about the book itself and how it was written thousands of years ago, compiled together, has stood the test of time, and is a book that still elicits such emotion. People are willing to die for this book. In fact, we have global outreach partners around the world right now that are putting themselves in positions where if it's found that they have this book in their possession, that they will, be, they, they will go to jail or much worse. What is it about this book that would cause someone to put themselves in that sort of situation, that literally millions of people would give their lives up for this book over the centuries? It's a book where people say they find life and find true ultimate purpose and meaning, but it's also a book that some people would say is wildly regressive and oppressive and misogynistic and even dangerous. Governments actively ban this book. So what is it about this book that causes such deep emotion and opinion? And even more important to our discussion this morning how do we go about forming that opinion? What are we to do? How are we to decide who is right? 
The Bible is the best-selling book of all time, according to the Guinness Book of World Records. In fact, I read the last statistic that the Guinness Book of World Records has is that in 1995, they estimated that almost 18 million copies of the Bible had been sold and distributed around the world. And so now, uh, you know, 20 years later, it has to be so much more. No other book is close as far as sales and distributions over time. It's a book that elicits great opinions from us or deep-seated emotion and thought. But I want you to think for just a moment how you come to those opinions. How do you know who is right? You see, the Bible makes a very specific claim about itself, and it does this in a number of different places. But I want us this morning just to look at one place, because before we start thinking about how opinions are formed, I want us to briefly think about what the Bible says that it is. What is this book? As far as the authors of the text are concerned, as far as the people who wrote these words down, what do they say it is? We could look at what Paul says uh, to the church in, in Thessalonica. We could look at what he says to Timothy. But this morning, we're going to look at what one of Jesus' disciples, Peter, says about this text. Maybe you remember Peter. Peter was the disciple uh, that gets a lot of airtime in the gospel narrative. He's always, uh, you know, the one that's putting his foot in his mouth. He's the one that walked on water. He's, he's the one that's kind of in the middle of the action. He's the one that denied Christ. So you know who Peter is. Even if you're somewhat familiar with the story, you've probably heard of Peter. Well, when Peter writes about what this book is, this is what he writes. And it's in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. He says this. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. For, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And so Peter wants you to know this. When we write down the stories that are in the New Testament, when we write these down, we're telling you about things that we saw and experienced. And then he talks about the, the verses that came before Jesus in the Old Testament. He says, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So this is what Peter says about the text. And we could look at what Paul says. We could look at how Jesus treats Scripture. But it all comes to the same conclusion. And that is the authors of the book themselves believe that what they were writing was inspired by God himself. That the Holy Spirit was speaking through them. That what we have here is not just words that were, were penned by humans, but that God himself spoke through those people who were writing so that we have before us the very word of God himself. Now that's what the authors of the text would tell us. And some of us would say, amen, that's 100% correct. And others, of, and others would say, I'm not so sure about that. How do we know who is right? How do you know who to believe? This is how many of us go about forming an opinion on the Bible. We contract that opinion out 
to the voices that we like to listen to, right? Many of us treat the Bible, I want to suggest to you, the same way we treat pieces of legislation within the U.S. government. We treat the Bible the same way we treat the Affordable Care Act or the GOP tax plan. See how inclusive I was there? We treat the Bible in the same way. That is, we make extremely strong, bold opinions. We have deep convictions about what we think about these things. But we've never read it or studied it for ourselves. We treat the Bible in much the same way that we treat legislation. We're not going to sit down and read it for ourselves and really study it and figure it out. There's too many pages, and it's, and it's too complicated for us. So what we'll do then is we'll listen to people that have read it, or at least say they've read it, and we'll see what it is that they have to say about it. And then we'll form our opinion based on our presuppositions and what we come into the, into the room already thinking. We'll find a voice that we like to listen to and we'll take that opinion and we'll make it our own. And I want to suggest to you this morning that for many of us, the opinion that we've formed about the Bible, positive or negative, has been formed the exact same way. It's not necessarily because we've really studied it and read it and wrestled with the text. It's because we found people that we like to listen to. They said they read it. We listened to what they said and we made made that opinion our opinion. And positive or negative, that's how it's come about. Have you ever been with someone and been eating something that you thought tasted unbelievable? And you said to that person, you really need to try this. This tastes fantastic. And they said to you, uh, no, I don't like that. And then you said to them, how do you know you don't like it? And they said, I just know I don't like it. And you said, well, have you tasted it before? And they say, no, I haven't tasted it before. I just know I don't like it. Have you ever encountered that before? Maybe you're that kind of person. You look at certain food and you just know you don't like it. You're not going to taste it, but you just know you don't like it. You formed an opinion without actually engaging with it at all. And many of us treat the Bible the same way. We have deep-seated opinions about this book. But I don't know that many of us, Christian or not, have really wrestled with the text and read and studied it so that we might form our own opinion ourselves. We end up just following people and voices we like to hear. And so the narrative goes something like this many times. We grow up in church world. The pastor looks like they've studied the book. And so whatever he or she says from the stage, we just take that uh, as what they've said. And we're like, they must be right. They went to school for this. And, and we take it as what they've said. And plus, they seem a little bit scary to us. So we're just willing to believe whatever they say. And then we go off and we leave the nest and we go to college. And then we're sitting with the professor. And the professor seems even smarter. They have more letters after their last name. And so they seem like they know even more what they're talking about. And they have a deep-seated opinion that's different from the opinion that we grew up listening to. And so we just go with that opinion now because that seems like the, the smarter, well-informed Opinion, and we draw these grand conclusions about the text and about the Bible itself without ever engaging in it with it for ourselves. The Apostle Paul had something 
to say about this. Our tendency just to follow people and not actually engage with God himself. He wrote a letter to a church in a, in a city called Corinth. And this church in that city was divided because Paul had planted the city, Paul had planted the church. And then another man named Apollos came and he was preaching and teaching in the church. And there was a great division in the church. And Paul wrote to this church and he said, what, what are you doing? I hear that there's divisions among you, that some of you are saying, oh, I follow Paul. And some of you are saying, no, I follow Apollos. And there's a divide among you because some of you say, well, you're following Paul or you're following Apollos. And Paul writes them and says, why are you following us? You should be following Christ. In fact, this is the way he puts it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed that the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Paul says to the people, listen, we're just people like you. Now God is speaking through us and God is doing things through us, but at the end of the day, don't think that we're causing anything to happen. It is God who's doing the work. We put ourselves in a precarious position when we just follow people and whatever voices sound good to us at the time and don't do the hard work of studying and engaging the text for ourselves. If we're just going to listen to whatever voice sounds good to us at the time, then we're put ourselves in a position where we could be swayed to and fro, as Paul said back in Ephesians chapter 4, where we could be swayed one direction and the next direction by any new word or any human cunning or any scheme that comes. When I was, uh, after I finished college, I went and I worked at a church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And it was a, it was a pretty good-sized church, as churches tend to be uh, in that part of the country. It was about 3,000 people that attended the church, and I was the high school youth pastor, and the high school youth group was about this size. And so we would have a, a, I led that group. And here's what happened. Just outside of Grand Rapids, there was a brand new church that had started. And it was a church that was less than a year old, and already it had between four and 5,000 people gathering every Sunday. And so we heard about this church, and what we would do, the staff, we would attend our church on Sunday morning, and this church, this new church, had a Sunday night service, which is an unbelievable idea, by the way. They had a Sunday night service. And so we would attend our church on Sunday mornings, and then we would sneak over, and we would kind of sneak into the back, because we were the staff of a different church, and we would participate in this church's service. And the person who was the pastor and the speaker remains to this day one of the best communicators about the Bible that I've ever heard in my entire life. He made the text come alive in ways that I never had heard before. And his name is Rob Bell. And so I walked into his church. You may have heard of him, you may not have. Uh, I believe he's on the Oprah Network now and, and, and doing a number of things. Best time, New, York best, uh, New York Times bestselling author. And at the time when we would go to that church called Mars Hills Church in Michigan, he would say the sorts of things that I had always heard growing up in church. The Bible is the word of God. Jesus is the savior of the world. 
And as I left Michigan and came to New England, Rob Bell's popularity continued to grow. And now, as I mentioned, he's written two New York Times bestsellers. He's in with the Oprah crew, which means that he has great exposure. He has a number of people that call themselves his disciples, including Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers. But something's happened over the years. What Rob says today about the Bible is not what he said 15 years ago. In fact, if you were to pick up the book that he wrote last year, you're going to, what is the Bible is the name of the book. You're going to read that in his opinion, the Bible is nothing more, and I read this book, the Bible is nothing more than human words written down about God. But there's many human words written across cultures about God. And so the Bible is no more authoritative or different than any of those other books. And he'll say in this book that Jesus really didn't have to die. He just allowed it to happen. But it wasn't for sins or saving of the world or anything like that. So this Rob Bell is a very different Rob Bell than the one I used to go listen to on Sunday nights in Grand Rapids, Michigan in 2002. Who's right? Which Rob Bell is enlightened? Which one is informed? You see, there's a problem if we're just going to follow people. People change. People think one thing one day, they think another thing the next day. And if you're taking all of your opinions about this book from other people, you're putting yourself in a precarious situation. I want to suggest to you today that the model that we need to follow is not the model of the church in Corinth, where some were following Apollos and some were following Paul, but the model of the Jewish believers that lived in a place called Berea. You read about them in Acts chapter 17, and this is what happens there. It says, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now Paul starts teaching in the synagogue, and it says these Jews were more noble noble than those in Thessalonica. Now why were these Jews more noble? Well, here's the reason. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. See, here's what the Jewish believers in Berea did. Paul came and taught in their synagogue. They listened to what Paul said. Then they went back to this book, opened it up to see if Paul was right or not. It wasn't just about following Paul's opinion. It was about coming to the text and wrestling with the text, reading it and studying it to see if what Paul was saying lined up with what God himself was saying. We take this book and we put it into all sorts of boxes. Many of us would use a lot of different words to talk about this book. For some of us, we would say, well, it's like a self-help book. We use it kind of like we used to use chicken soup for the soul. We just open it up and we get a little message that makes our heart feels good and warms us up for a little bit, and then we go on with our day. Some of us look at this book as like an ethics book. It tells us what to do and what not to do. Some of us uh, look and say, well, there's a lot of legal things in here. It tells us how to set up a, a government maybe or how to, how to build laws. Some of us look at this book and says, well, it gives us all the history. It's a history book of, of, of people over time. But the Bible itself, if you'll really 
engage in this book. Read it and study it for yourself. Is all of those things. But it's so much bigger than that. There's something different about this book. Something that millions of people have been willing to die for. Something that has changed the lives of billions of people. Something that, even though Rob Bell doesn't really believe it's the word of God anymore, he'll say in the book, no other book has transformed my life more than the Bible. The only way you can experience all of that for yourself is for you to open it and to read it and to study it. The Apostle John, he said the reason he wrote his book, he says it right in John chapter 20, he says, these are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. John says, I wrote this book. I wrote these things down so that you might know that Jesus is the Christ and by believing have life in his name. I would suggest to you this morning, and this is my experience and what I believe, that within the pages of this book are the ultimate answers to everything that ails us as human beings. All the longings of our soul, all the brokenness that we see in this world, that the answers to all of it are in this book and that life True life can be found within the pages of this book. But I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to experience it for yourself. And if we're going to do our best work this year as growing up in Christ and growing together as the body, then it requires us as believers to take this book seriously, to open it and to read it and to study it. What do I think this is? I think this is the very word of God but I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to experience it for yourself. I'm gonna invite our worship team forward as we close this morning. And I did just invite you, if you would, just to bow your head and close your eyes with me. And just think for a moment with me. Honestly, when is the last time, when is the last time that you opened up this book and really studied and really read, really tried to understand what was happening, really tried to understand what was going on? When is the last time you created space for the text of the Bible to speak to your heart and to your mind and to your soul. If you want to experience the life that John is talking about, experience the voice of God speaking to you, then we have to open up the book and read it and study it for ourselves. And so perhaps at the beginning of this year, you would say this is a year where you're going to do that. Where you're going to take seriously setting aside time to spend time in the Bible. 
so that when people ask you what you think about this book, the words that you're saying are not something that you've learned from someone else. They're something that you've experienced for yourself. God wants to speak to you. He wants to do a work inside of you. And it will come as you take seriously the word that he's given. So God, we thank you this morning for the word that you've given us. Thank you that you are a God who speaks, that you're not a God who stands far off, but you are a God that has spoken and continues to speak by your spirit to your people. Lord, help us to take seriously the call to engage in this book, to see what it is for ourselves. And as we do, Lord, that you will speak to our hearts the truth of who you are, the truth of who your son is, and the truth of the life that he offers will become clear to us. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? And we're going to close in a song together this morning. Hey, thanks again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location. At Mount Hope, we gather in Belmont every Sunday at 10 a.m. and 5 p.m. and in Burlington at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Each week that we gather, we do so to learn more about God, grow in our love of Him and others, and then we go to live lives driven by faith. If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts areas, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday. You can learn more about us by visiting our website, mounthope.org, M-O-U-N-T-H-O-P-E dot O-R-G, or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at M-T Hope Belmont. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you listen again next week.